Hi, this is Charles Wiz. And Tony Silva. And this is Two Teachers Talking, a podcast where Tony and I get together to talk about teaching in Japan, being educators in Japan, being educators in general, what we do, what works, what doesn't work, what we feel successful about, and what frustrates us. And today we're going to be talking about we're teaching in Japan. This is our 67th episode. This is episode number 67. And so we're talking about how is it different teaching in Japan versus teaching, let's say, in the United States? And there's lots of stereotypes and people have lots of ideas and what they think to be true about Japanese students or American students. And we're going to try to untie that interesting knot. And so, Tony... Where should we start with this? Well, I think we can probably agree that it is different, right? <laughs> We're not going to disagree about that, are we? <laughs> there are some things that are I don't think that so. are I think unique about, uh, about different, this situation. At least based on what I know, yeah, yeah. Well, based on what I know, yeah. So, How about you, though? Yeah, I think. Oh, yeah, of course. And I think maybe a good place to start is to maybe turn back the get the Wayback Machine going and try to uh, reconstruct what it was like for us when we first got here, and maybe some of the big surprises and shocks because. By now, I mean, you, you and I both have been here for a long time. A lot of this kind of has started to feel normal. Um, but uh, a lot of it was like, you know, kind of a big shock to us at the beginning. So I know for me, um, you know, right off the bat, you know, teaching at um, universities, the big difference about classes meeting just once a week for 90 minutes and students, instead of taking three or four classes, um, mm. taking 13, uh, that was for me a big thing. And yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, you think about, um, uh, foreign language acquisition, the idea of like one class a week, 90 minutes. It's like, that was a big shock. That was a, that was a big surprise for me. That was, that was one. And you, uh, anything back then that you remember being kind of bowled over by? Um, I'm thinking about it, and I agree with you that the idea that you see the students just once a week, and that they would have, instead of where we would have, or a student would have four classes, maybe five classes a semester, again, as you said, meeting two, three times a week, this idea that students are taking like 15 classes was just very, very, very different. So I think that's, I agree with you, that was one of the first big differences. Um, then there was just the general attitude, I think, that school was not um, this big, serious kind of thing. But this might be an age issue, too. But less of a focus, less of a interest in the academic side and more that the classes almost were like this kind of scaffolding or support for their social engagement their social activities yeah I think those and that's uh this is yeah it, it, it this is a one little crack chink or whatever a little crack into a what i think is a really bigger issue a bigger not a problem necessarily but a bigger thing uh, and it's that whole notion again. Yeah, part of you said is maybe generational. You know, we're crotchety old farts, and 
damn kids these days, right? Well, speak et cetera, for yourself, et cetera, et cetera. Always do. <laughs> um, but, um, and uh, I'll just give a little plug here. Like this is something that I address in my uh, intercultural communication textbook, um, Us and Them. I deal with it in some length. And one of the things that's, well, it's not one thing, it's actually many things together. Um, and speaking specifically about university education, um, actually here in Japan, what that means and how it fits into the society as a whole uh, and the different as different aspects uh, of life and culture and society and how that impacts what the university is supposed to be. Now I'll back it up and I'll try to ex explain what I mean by that. Um, um, a lot of it, I think it, it, there's two things that happen that uh, really change the university experience. One is um, the university entrance exams, Nushi, as it's called in Japanese, and the um, employment situation. Uh, what companies expect uh, to uh, get from uh, their students and uh, what uh, they expect from a university education. So the entrance exam, uh, because it's so serious and it impacts students for their entire life, um, it makes the high school years extremely serious in a way. So they have to study very hard, not necessarily to learn to prepare themselves for college, but to pass the entrance examination. And uh, consequently, um, they don't have a lot of free time. They don't have a lot of independence. They don't have a lot of freedom in their high school years. And they don't mature the way that people in most Western countries might through being independent, through different kinds of high school activities, um, part-time jobs, etc., etc. So when they come to university, they are uh, fairly immature. And that's good and it's bad. I mean, they're still plastic and still moldable, right? University freshmen in our country, United States, um, they're young adults and um, they're ready to go. And here they're still a lot more what I think in the United States would be like high school kids. And because they've, at this point, they've passed their university entrance exam, they've got into the best university they can, the attitude is, okay, well, their job is kind of done. And it's, it's, a, it's complicit agreement with students and the university. It's okay. This is your four years of social time. And the academics do kind of take a backseat to the social aspect of university life, uh, much to the chagrin of foreign teachers who come in expecting what we were used to as a university experience, which is very, very different. Because when we graduate from university and seek employment, we understand that our employers expect us to have learned something and be ready to go. Whereas in Japan, the employers understand that they're going to have to train their new employees and they really don't have the expectation that they will be prepared to work uh, based on their university experience. So it's not a simple one little thing, but that whole um, set of circumstances really has a huge impact on the university classroom. And uh, a lot of us, when we come here, are pretty unprepared for that. What you think? Yeah, I think those are a lot of the main differences in terms of how the 
the society itself actually approaches university education. The emphasis on social relations and developing your social network and the club system is very, very highly developed in Japan. So that it's a big focus of learning how to work with people, learning how to be in an organization. Because one of the really interesting things I always find is the incredible shock that people discover when they see how students respond to the really very big event at a university, which is the school festival. And then they find out that they're students who don't do a lot in class, who seem not to be very interested or not very motivated or not working very hard, are actually hard at work and are very organized and are doing these incredibly difficult logistical problems and trying to fix things for this large school festival. And it's an example of where the students actually do have skills and abilities that they can use and that they actually do use in a really kind of surprisingly developed way compared to what I see sometimes as a teacher. Yeah, why so, can't they do that in class? Right, but you understand what I'm saying, right? Oh, sure, you, absolutely. They're, they're, they're really working really hard and... They've, you're like, wait a second, you can't figure out how to get your homework done properly, but you've been involved in organizing. <laughs> or even submit you know, your homework. <laughs> right, right, right. Good point. Okay, you can't, or you haven't even been in class for a while because you can't find out how to get to class. But you, then they're incredibly competent in this other situation. So, which of course brings up a, an interesting point of how we know our teachers and just the different identities that people have. So that focus on the out-of-class experience is actually being primary still after all these years has been difficult for me to accept so I think that's true the other thing Tony though I think co companies are starting to change with their expectations and demands about what schools need to do mm, big changes I think, for sure mm. right I think for example there's this I, and for lack of a better word I'm going to use clamor for creative thinking, innovative thinking, critical thinking coming from companies, that that's what they need from students. So here maybe is a real similarity between uh, the United States, for example, and Japan, is how so much of education is actually driven by job need or the job training aspect. So if the companies have a new need for students to be more creative, innovative, or have better critical thinking abilities. It seems that schools will kind of try to do that. They'll try to implement programs, but and that's a whole other story that we can talk about. So there's the responsiveness to, let's say, corporate company needs. And we're talking really here, I think, about Japan Inc., correct? Correct. Yeah. And it is right. well, kind of, kind of a, a tail wagging the dog situation. And I think, I think schools in the United States are starting to struggle a little bit with that, too. I think um, the, um, that high school experience that I talked about impacts the, the incoming freshmen in another way, too, um, just because of the mm, teaching style, learning style, and again, that focus on the, the entrance examination, I mean, studying to the test, um, they come to university without a lot of the skills that 
we as Americans, uh, products of an American education system, um, would expect them to have, but they just don't. Um, basic study skills, taking notes, um, finding information in a library, internet, whatever it is, uh, wherever they get it, <clears throat> primary, secondary resources, analyzing the information, forming an opinion. Yeah, they've got none of that. And um, us, we kind of just assume that that's, you know, those are things that you learn in high school. Not necessarily the case. Um, and uh, uh, my my wife, Allison Kitzman, a professor at Geek uh, University, has uh, done a lot of work with this kind of research and uh, something that she calls preloading. Um, or really when she, cause she has the, the opportunity to kind of slide this into the curriculum, um, at her school, uh, to, uh, make that part of their, um, beginning English classes at the very beginning, um, to introduce some of those, uh, study skills that, um, you know, yeah, pay, it really pays off, um, in the long run, right? Cause it, it just reaps big dividends down the road. Yes. Those skills. But I do have a friend who teaches in the U.S. at a U.S. university. And what you just said kind of sounds similar to what she said. No, she's got the same complaints, huh? Basically, hmm. students can't write. Students aren't well-read. Students don't have critical thinking abilities. They don't know how to analyze an issue. They don't know how to take an argument apart. There's a lot of um, logical fallacies in their argumentation. So I don't know if that's something that's unique to Japan, but I do think that I see those same things in my classes and that it seems to be a consistent thing across all my classes and any of the schools that I've taught. And, and maybe it's also a question of degree. Um, and I'll just I'll just give you just a little anecdotal a little bit here. This was a student last year. This is a, at, a, at a very good university, um, and uh, the classes are pretty advanced for incoming freshmen. And these are bright kids, and they're the English. And these are advanced classes. Um, the kids are sharp. And uh, after class, <clears throat> he comes and he talks to me, which is a big indicator all by itself. And he says, "You know, Sensei, you keep telling us that." Um, we uh, need to have our own opinions, but uh, I want you to tell me what my opinions should be. Now, that's not something an American kid would say. I don't think. I mean, he was really at a loss. He re his his idea about education was that the the teacher is supposed to tell them what to think, and I don't think that you'd get that in most Western countries. Yeah, you know, I think maybe that's true. That might be something that's not just localized to Japan. Maybe it's a question of degree, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, I think so. I think that there are some schools maybe that will attract a certain kind of student or a student who would say that, or I don't know. Um, that's one that I try to be very careful about because I see my students kind of going back and forth on that. Um, you know, some will say that they like that I have a hands-off approach. Others will say they want more lectures. But I don't know what their real motivation is for that. For example, I think that 
in a hands-on class, let's say a student-centered class, they're just having to work in a way that they're not used to. So it might be an issue of familiarity that the students say, you know, I just want you to tell me what to think because then they know what to do, that they know how to study because they're assuming, as you said, based on the NUSHI, based on the entrance exam and based on how they've been educated in high school and junior high school that you basically are given a test that will check how much of the information do can you recall, how much right. have you retained. Right. Is this going to be on so, the test and what's the correct answer? Right. So I don't know if they're actually asking you for your opinion or they're actually saying, this is how I know to study. This is the only way mm -hmm. I know how to be in a classroom. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do you think? Well, I think maybe kind of the same thing. I think. I mean, it's really just two sides of the same coin. Is it that whatever it is that they're not behaving the way that we would expect them to behave? And that's what's different about it. I don't know exactly what what's the dynamic is what's happening, but they're not <laughs> responding the way that I expect them to, right? Mm. Mm. And uh, this yeah. Is, and, and yeah, and this is what you just talked about. I think maybe like leapfrogs into another difference. Um, when it, again, this is a little bit complex because it's like in two vectors, but one of them, and this is traditional and part of the culture here, is the teacher-student relationship. Whereas um, students in the United States, even in elementary school through junior high school, high school, are encouraged to challenge ideas and to question things, uh, the, the teacher-student relationship is very, very different. You're not going to get that. Uh, the teacher is, uh, you know, s small g, you know, lowercase g, God, um, like, a, like a medical doctor also. I mean, of course, all this is, is, is in flux and it is changing too, but traditionally... Sensei is a sensei, capital S, and um, you don't question the teacher. Uh, really a different balance, which is made more complex because of the Japanese, non-Japanese factor. In, in our case, when we're talking about foreign teachers coming to Japan, um, that is very different in Japan. The whole idea of the Japanese national identity um, uh, of the students, their mindset, and their you know predisposition toward people who are not Japanese, whether you want to call it prejudice or or not, whatever it is, it's a different way of thinking. Whereas, yeah, Canada, the United States, Australia, well, kind of a melting pot situation. Um, no, 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 not here. Um, you're not Japanese. You're different, and then. Yeah, the double vector of the foreign teacher and um, how that actually falls out and what kind of relationship develops in your classes over the year. Um, it depends a lot on the class, depends a lot on the teacher. But uh, it's not going to be the straightforward uh, situation as if you had, for example, uh, a Japanese teacher in a Japanese class or a Canadian teacher in a Canadian class, an American teacher. It's not a monocultural experience. Um it gets kind of gets kind of weird because neither side really has a good handle on what the expectations are from the other side, right? And that can be challenging, especially when you're new to the country. I think. Yeah, I think so. I remember that when I first got here, when and this is twenty seven years ago, that just the you know fact that everyone was Japanese. <laughs> it's just <laughs> amazing <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the how homogenous this society is and the lack of diversity. 
so that when I go into a classroom and I'm teaching a classroom, let's say there's just so few people from outside of Japan. It's it's way less than five percent. Just to just to put numbers on for people who are not in Japan, um, the the total number of hoarders, which I think includes Korean and Chinese, which were to a lot of Westerners they're visually indistinguishable, but including native born i mean born in japan chinese and korean um yeah less than five percent and that's for an american like an american city especially where the where the population is so diverse that's a very weird thing (laughs) it's very unusual well i'm thinking that you know besides that though right this is just such a strange situation (laughs) um and i still have not gotten used to that um and i you're right. It's probably 5%. I'm trying to think I had a class of, of about 40 students and I had um, two students from China, one student from Korea, and three or four students maximum from who been educated overseas and we're coming back to Japan. So we're really looking at about six students out of 40 who, and this was in a special class because it's a higher level listening class. So one would, it's skewed in the sense that you'd get the returnee students. So yes, this homogeneity of the, of the classroom is kind of different. The other thing, I think there's a real big difference between teaching in Japan and teaching, let's say, in the United States would be the lack of having to teach to different needs. I think that in Japan that there isn't a lot of support for if a student has special needs as much as there would exist in the United States or teaching to different levels. Um, how does you, how do we, you know, diversity in the classroom in terms of learning ability, learning levels. We don't see as much, I think, variation or actually innovation or adaptation as we would in the United States. What do you think about that, Tony? Mm, I think a lot of that depends on the, uh, the, the school uh, some some schools make a much greater effort at that than others, um, and I really don't have a sense of what is happening now in the United States in that regard. So I'm gonna I'm gonna think I'm gonna have to pass on that because I'm really not sure. Um, I I know the uh, what you know I've read things about how the in elementary school and junior high school um, how the teachers and the education system. Um, will um, uh, adjust to um, individual student needs. Um, but I really am kind of lost with what's happening uh, in the U.S. in, in the classroom. Um, I'm not sure. But um, maybe um, kind of get to um, like maybe something a little bit, uh, a little meatier, kind of interesting, because this is something that um, we talked about things that when we first got here, what was so different uh, but something recently that you and I have discussed that... Oh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a good one, right? So this is um, this stems from... Um, this is from a podcast. Uh, the guy who does the podcast name is David McRaney, and it's the um, 
You Are Not So Smart podcast. And we'll, we'll link to this on, on the webpage. So uh, he, in this, uh, in episode 55, um, it's a basically, well, the, I, I guess the thing interesting for us is the example that he uses. But um, the, he, he, one of his guests is a co-author of a paper. And uh, the paper uh, was titled The Weirdest People in the World. And it's a, it's a, it uses the word weird as, as an acronym um, for <laughs> um, Western, educated, industrial, rich, and democratic. And it is, the, the, the point of the study is, is that most research, or in, in the Western world anyway, um, is focusing only on <laughs> Western-educated, industrial-rich, democratic country and treating that as if it were universal. And it, where, in fact, these are actually kind of outliers. And then what the findings of all this research and all these studies, um, really, maybe not as universally <laughs> applicable as you might think. And uh, the interesting, and in the example that they use, uh, and the one that was like really zinged <laughs> uh, me and, and, and you, was um, the um, example of uh, self-esteem. And uh, in uh, North America, uh, students responded to uh, self-esteem, uh, the issue of self-esteem, in, in, in a, what we would think is a very predictable way. They did a study and they had a classroom and uh, the, the students were randomly, half of the class had uh, kind of like average difficulty problems and the other half had basically almost impossible to complete problems. And when you solve one, you know, problem one, they get problem one, you solve the problem, raise your hand. And the effect was that the students who were successful, who had the easy questions, um, then did, I guess, a little survey, and they were very gung-ho and very motivated, and they tried much harder on, on, on the next problem and worked much longer to solve it. The students who were given the very difficult problems gave up. Um, failure one, failure two, failure three, they gave up. The interesting thing, <laughs> then the gobsmacker for us, was when the same test was given to Japanese students, the, the results were quite different. Uh, when the students felt that they were not performing as well as their peers, they tried harder. And conversely, the students who were successful in solving the problems backed off. And they had a lot of different ideas about this. And part, what part of it is, is that in Western culture, individual achievement is something that's positive, standing out. It matters in, in West, whereas in Japan, individual achievement is not that important. And in fact, it can actually... <laughs> work against you, which is a topic for another day. Um, and uh, and it, 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 to show how deep that cultural idea is, um, when in Japan, when we talk about self-esteem, the, the Western word is used, self-esteem. And uh, the Japanese words for self-esteem have generally a negative connotation. It sounds like pride or conceit. So it, to accurately describe what we think of as self-esteem, the actual the Western word is used. So 
fast forward with that and think about the teacher approaching the classroom. If like I or or you, Charles, or another Western teacher tries to use that our ideas of how self-esteem works in the classroom, it's going to backfire on us. It's not going to work the way we think it does. Um, and I mean, yeah, this is like, I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this and I'm like, my jaw is on the ground. I'm like, wow. And if, you know, I'm, my guess is this is kind of just the tip of the iceberg. You know, if it's something like something so, what I think is so basic or simple or we, what we thought was obvious is so wrong what else are we wrong about? <laughs> I'm kind of worried. <laughs> you know, Tony, that's exactly it. Um, I, we both have had the same response to this article um, and the podcast and the, especially the example that was given. Um, and if I'm wrong on this, exactly, how much more wrong am I? But I do have to point out that this is an excellent example of really valuable research for a practitioner, it's one of the few times where there's actually been, I've read an article, heard about an article that actually had immediate impact on my teaching. But you're right. What do we do? We come in, we think, okay, ah, oh, this student's doing well. So what do I say? I said, ah, oh, you did really well. You were really successful. That's really good. And for all I know, according <laughs> to this research, I have done absolutely the worst thing. What I should have done is said, you're not doing well. <laughs> you can do better than that <laughs> right and some of this originally i was introduced to these ideas by um richard nisbet's book the geography of thought where he talks about the difference between western and asian thinking and this basic idea it's as is pointed out, and it's just really vital, is so much of research, so much of what is considered to be fact or research-based information or our understanding or knowledge of human beings, especially psychology and social sciences, right, is based on 18 to 22-year-old college students, which is something <laughs> I know a lot of people, including you and I, have talked about, sure. as that this is not a real um, representative group. Absolutely. But this is... Yeah. But finally, people are beginning to think about it. And this also the idea that cognitive development or even cognitive processes are the same across different cultures. And it's again, it's continuing our understanding and pushing us forward in this idea that there really is something called brain plasticity, right? That the brain can adapt and change given, you know, the kinds of input that it's getting and the kind of input someone would get when they are growing up in one culture is very different from the other. And that's having some interesting effects on people. And yeah, I can't think of an article that has affected me so emotionally and has made me just feel like I have no idea of what I'm doing. And this is for you and I as long-term residents of Japan. Sure. Teaching never here, e each of us teaching here more than 25 years, right? Right. We have more than 50 years teaching experience between us in Japan. <clears throat> and I know that students, I know how to have different approaches to learning. I know that there are different attitudes. I know that self-esteem doesn't exist in Japan in the same way that it exists in America, right? 
Um, but I had never, ever, ever considered the f- how feedback could have such a radically different impact mm. on the student's behavior. But then again, also, it's not really feedback. It's We're talking really here about, uh, well, actually, it is feedback, yeah. Well, so feedback, the, the so. feedback informs, yeah, whatever the student's thinking is, for sure. Uh, they react to that, that same feedback. Western students will react one way, and the Japanese students will react the another way. Right. I was just re- thinking back that feedback is simply act- information that's mm-hmm. being you know received and it's actionable. So, yeah, that was just shocking and surprising to me and really making me question a lot. That just tells me, and you know, as we've talked about before, that there really are really deep and subtle differences that need to be addressed. And I think this whole idea ties into the individual versus the group um, situation we've talked about before, which is, I think, one of the ideas that was suggested by the authors when they were describing this test is that the Japanese students who were successful are then kind of trying to wait for the other students to either catch up or they're bringing themselves down. And this is something we've mentioned before, I think, in podcasts. The the kind of reign of the mean that students don't want to stand out. They don't, right? As you, I think you said in one podcast, you're talking about a returnee, that if you turn to a returnee who's been living in the United States for a few years, that when they come back, somebody says, say, so your English must be really good. And the returnee has to go to that Japanese approach, which is no, my Japanese or my English is not very good. It's not that well, whereas an American would simply say, yeah, you know, it really got a lot better. So there's all these differences. But this article and the podcast about weirdest people, that was that's highly recommended. And by the way, it's a really good podcast. You yeah, very good. Start. Oh, yeah. Overall. And there's also a... he also gets credit for the best title of any podcast. Right? <laughs> it's a great title. Yeah, his, his music is his choice of the intro music is pretty bad, and then he gets really obsessed with his cookies at the end. But yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but the but the content he, is very good, and he's a very bright man. Yep, he's a very bright man. He's done his homework, he's done his research, and he usually is really talking about interesting things and bringing really good insights. And yeah, he's a really good interviewer too. I think mm-hmm. so. Highly recommended podcast. So. We've got those differences, right? And now we're kind of wondering, you know, exactly what other kinds of differences there are. Right, and, and exactly, right? If yeah. If we're just saying, well, that's an example of how students approach challenge right. and frustration. You know, do we... But what about everything else, right? Yeah, and it, it reminded me of like when I first, you know, way, way, way back when... Um, before coming to Japan and started trying to learn about it and Japanese literature and translation and Japanese movies and so forth, how often uh, in the literature, in the movies, looking at the characters, so often their actions and reactions to things totally baffling, could not fathom the motivation. Um, Just as like, just didn't get it. And, you know, 
Natsumi Soseki, I am a cat, his scene like where he's in the he's in the uh, bath and he's swimming in the bath and the sign that goes up, no swimming in the bath and his interior monologue and how he reacted to that is like, huh? <laughs> um, I know that the person is insane, but like Temple of the Golden Pavilion where the monk burns down the the um, the uh, the uh, Golden Pavilion. Um, yes, he's crazy, but even, you know, in, in, in Western literature, when you have someone, you, you have a character that's insane, you construct a twisted but followable path of reasoning that for that character where it makes sense for him to do this insane act but i couldn't follow it whatsoever and it was over and over and over again and so applying it to our students um yeah why does a student stop coming to class what factors might possibly be involved with that um uh on Unexplained student anger. Huh? You, 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 students get angry, lose their temper in class. Like, mm, why today? What was it that caused that outburst? Um, yeah, and then the realization that if again, this was just so, so very uh, <laughs> basic and so different um, that. Uh, Geez, it's really this again, tip of the iceberg. There's just so much going on here that uh, we just don't know. Tony, I think almost everyone I know will just echo that. That after even being here for so long, just not knowing what's going on, that you're only seeing just as you said, right, the the surface, just barely scratching the surface. And I was talking with my wife, and I just said you know i just don't so much i'm missing i'm not understanding i'm not getting so and a little story here anecdotal story was that there's the famous i think you've talked about it right uh you know to feel the air right what's the exact term how it's described it's uh, uh key oh. you know yeah Kiyo you know it's the huh? sense that ky yeah kyo yomenai Right, you know, get get an idea of you know the the vibe, you know, sense the unspoken communication that's going on, and I had absolutely no idea of this for years and years and years and years and years and years, and it must be about three years ago. I was in a meeting, and something came up that was very very challenging in this meeting, and it's a small group of people; it's about ten people, eight ten people, and something came up, and there was just silence. And there was, and I, you know, I, I'd seen this before, but, but then there was more. I looked at my, the, you know, the clock and it had been 10 minutes of silence and this went on and then it's, it's hitting 20. I, it was really unbelievable. But what happened was at about the 20 minute mark, and I am really being honest here that there was 20 minutes of silence or 20 minutes of silence at this point that I started just looking around a little bit and just watching how, you know, what were people's heads positions? What were their hands? And all of a sudden I was like, oh, I understand now. I'm feeling the fuinky. I'm feeling <laughs> the, the vibe here. And this is only, I've only experienced this one time, but 
the total silence I timed it came out to 42 minutes before someone spoke up. And it was almost as if you could feel people trying to push and prod the, the ether to figure out some way to deal with it. But I get these occasional insights and they're not common. And even people who I know who have really, really good Japanese and when they explain to me what's happened and they have really, really a good sense about what's going on, they will even tell me that they miss so much. They don't understand what's going on. Yes, yes, that's very true. Yeah. And, and what also is very, I just want to add one thing, which is that I'll describe something that happened. And then I'll explain that or describe it to my wife. And my wife will then kind of say, oh, this is what was going on. And I'll be like, no way. <laughs> huh? That couldn't have been happening. What are you talking huh? about? You weren't there. And then I'll start thinking about it and thinking about what I know. And it's just, wow, there's a lot going on <laughs> in what are, you know, in the background. And that's also a big difference. And what I realize is that I don't apply that to my students. I apply that when I'm dealing with, you know, my, my peers, my colleagues, when I'm dealing with office people, I'm in meetings. But I'm now beginning to think, whoa, how much are my students communicating like that? And they must be looking at me thinking, wow, this guy's really dense. He doesn't get it. What's his problem, right? Oh, <laughs> you understand that. Theory, oh, I you? do. I do. I do. So that ties again just back into how little I feel I know after all these years and how many, I think now, you know, how many mistakes am I making and trying to adjust. So let's kind of shift the conversation over a little bit, Tony. Um, we've talked about the weird, the weird people in the world and the self-esteem issue, the mistakes we make and how little we know. Um, and the semester's kicking in, new semester, right? Mm-hmm. Are you going to do anything differently based on all these things you've learned or this one thing that we've learned how is that going to affect your teaching do you think well um before yeah i, I, I don't know <laughs> but i do i want to disagree with you on, on one point though um you said that uh anyone would would feel the, the same way we do i completely disagree um there's a lot of people here who have been teaching for a lot of years and um you know, a lot of the differences we're talking about are are and can be subtle. Um, and maybe we're being too kind to ourselves for, for not getting it sooner because <laughs> it's so subtle we couldn't get it. Um, but there's a lot of things that you know we might consider obvious and things, but there's a lot of people here who, uh, and I guess it's maybe kind of like a, a Dunning Kruger effect. Um, they they know so little that they don't know what they don't know. They don't have an idea that they don't know. They think that there's that much to know. Um, I think there's a, a lot of people who um, are even more clueless than you and I <laughs> when it comes to I'm this. I'm glad you interrupted <laughs> yourself. <laughs> there was this delay between you and I. <laughs> well, I was trying to get make the, the, the subject and the verb. You're like, more than us, than we. Anyway, than you and I. Um, but um, yeah, a lot of people here teaching 15, 20 years and... You know, just 
walk into the classroom and still expect them to be like expected to be an American classroom or a Canadian classroom or an English classroom. They have not, they have not budged <laughs> or made any kind of adaptation to the reality of the classroom here. And they have no intention to, it's not a, you know, for them, it's a very rigid idea of what a university class should be and hell or high water. Those students are going to be that way or, my way or the highway, or you're going to fail. It's like, whoa. <laughs> oh, really? Damn. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I don't think it's as universal as you might think. Well, it might. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And I and don't those know those might those might be outliers, those too. Right? People, the ones who you say, you know, that's my way or the highway kind of thing. I kind of, though, understand that in a certain way, our responsibility, and I've been told this by a number of people, is to introduce students into a more Western kind of classroom environment so that they're aware of it, so they have an experience of it. But that's just, you know, tossing that out as maybe an argument in defense of some people. But I think what you're saying is that there are some people who just aren't adapting, aren't noticing, aren't seeing things. And, you know, there's always going to be that percentage of people in any profession. Yeah, well, I think, yeah, I think for sure, it's like you take, ideally, uh, what, what I think we'd, we'd want to do is to take what is the best of, uh, what, can, what we, you and I consider the best of Western educational practices, uh, approaches, and behaviors, and try to bring those best things to our classroom, introduce them in a way that our students are able to understand and integrate and adapt and without losing the good things that they have or that they are doing or that they're able to do and give it to them in a way that they're able to digest it, process it, analyze it and use it in a way that they can do it. I think that's I kind of maybe the ideal of what I would you know push to the wall. But I'm, this is what I'm trying to do. I can't maybe enunciate exactly. Uh, what practices I do, what behaviors I do, what assignments contribute to that. It's like, uh, I don't know. Um, but in in, thing, in terms of principle, I think that's where I'm coming from. And then now to get me to your question, you know, that kind of leads into that, what am I going to do differently? Um, practically, I don't know, but I'm going to certainly walk into the classroom with my eyes open and uh, with uh, uh, with an intent to really kind of observe where these possible uh, disconnects might be. And um, I'm fortunate enough to have, um, you know, at, at least one of the universities where I teach are really some exceptional students. And uh, they're at the level where I can actually discuss this with them. Um, a lot of them have been to schools overseas, uh, high, elementary school, high school, even universities, um, where we can discuss this kind of thing, and maybe be that'll be very productive for all of us, uh, for me and uh, these uh, groups of students. So I'm kind of excited about that. Um, and as, as I said, practically exactly what I'm going to do in the classroom, I don't know yet, but I'm certainly going to watch that self-esteem thing. <laughs> um, and in my praise and um, other expressions of motivational <laughs> intent, um, kind of think about it before I open my mouth, maybe. What about you? Yeah, I 
similar to what you've just said, I think I'm going to go in with my eyes a little bit more open. Um, I'm going to have a lot more doubts, a lot more questions. I'm going to be looking for what I don't know. And of course, that's always a difficult thing to do. Um, I think one thing will be to try out different kinds of praise um, and see how that works. But I've been moving away from that. I've been really trying to get more into just straight feedback, which is non-judgmental information, just providing information. But then I'm wondering if even that, there are differences in how that feedback is processed. Um, other things I'm going to do, I think, is probably just watch a lot more than I usually do. Watch how my students are working in groups. Um, like you, I get to teach at a very good university, and I have students who I can actually talk to, ask them their opinions and their ideas. I will do that as well. Um, I'm wondering whether the avenues I use, the channels I use to get information. For example, I think we both use Socrative to get feedback, um, exit tickets, etc. I'm wondering now how useful are those? Um, what's happening there? So I think I'm going to just kind of suspend a lot of my thinking, my judgments, and go into a real observation mode this semester and really try to watch, look, and see, and then figure out if I've learned anything by the time January rolls around. So that's pretty much how I'm going into the classroom. I'm more um, doubtful about what's going on, doubting my own ability to know what's going on than I have been in many, many years. Mm -hmm. And that's a good thing. That's mm, a really good thing. I think thing. so, too. Yeah. Uh, and it's uncomfortable. Um, it's definitely moving me out of my comfort zone. But as we say, I've always said to my students, it's important your comfort zones. And I might as well take my own advice. So I'm got, we'll let you know how that goes. Um, I'm probably – I started um, writing down things in a different way. Instead of just taking notes about what worked, what didn't, um, I started taking notes about, I don't know what's going on here. This I, I observed this and I don't understand it. And so I'm getting a, my notes are different than that I'm writing down observations and then wondering what what's going on instead of really focusing on just activity so i'm going to be confused even more than usual this semester <laughs> well that gives us um maybe some um some uh, follow-up for the end of the semester to see uh, what it is that maybe we learned ourselves right next year um mm. at the end of this because yeah it's right, the same as you it's like i'm kind of I'm kind of curious now to kind of to kind of see these classes with new eyes, kind of. So, what do you think? Uh, maybe uh, anything else? I think we're kind of winding down, huh? Yeah, yeah. I think we've covered it pretty well. I actually no, I don't think we've covered it very <laughs> well at all. 
Um, this is something I'm struggling with. So, well, we got this last part more... right, but we had like you know the um you know the the, the place of education in society with the with the entrance exams and and the employers and the companies, um the the university as a social thing the structure of the classes that's very different the student teacher relationship that's very different the the foreigner in Japan um the student learning skills that they maybe don't have um the 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 big thing with um how self esteem impacts um the dynamic in the classroom um and our you know it correlate to that is like our assumption ba- basic assumptions about um our role uh and our interaction with our students and what and how they perceive that right i mean that calling that into question and and you know having a look at that again is um is a big one uh that you know we wouldn't have to deal with if we were you know teaching in uh uh the united states or you know for for that matter so much in europe i um just to throw you throw this out actually a few years ago you know that well actually a long time ago allison was um, teaching in russia and uh, a few years ago we went uh, there and uh, did some presentations at uh university there and um Kind of interesting because I mean, very very different atmosphere. I mean, talk about student motivation. Um, these people were really gung ho to learn, and uh, my my presentation was about kind of the uniqueness of you know, teaching English in Japan, and just I just kind of shooting from the hip and trying to think of what might be different for them, and um, it was it was quite interesting uh, that after the presentation, these were all these were all uh, English teachers that I was that I was talking to. And uh, they came up after, and, and I noticed a lot of stern faces. And I said, "Well, you know, that's just Russia." But <laughs> and I, I, that's, that's, there, there's some there's some truth in that. Uh, it they came up to me afterwards and said, "You know, it was some, some things you said were very upsetting. We're really glad that our their their supervisor wasn't here." I'm going, "Oh, jeez, what, God, what, I put my foot in it this time." She's just like, "No," I was like, "Well, we're you said there are." 40 over 40 students in your classroom i go yeah it's just that's impossible i go well, i know <laughs> we talked about it in an early podcast right walking on water it's like yeah i, I know it's impossible but that's kind of just so like, no no we, we you know we're screaming yelling because we have 20 people in our classroom we think that's really too many and i says well <laughs> yeah well you're just lucky that way <laughs> but um the um a lot of the problems that you know we'd have in your Japan would not be problems in that environment. Uh, probably a whole different set of differences in you know, Russia versus the United States, but it uh, kind of speaks to how culturally aware the teacher needs to be because um, a lot of the ways that it impacts what you think of as just basic universal things are not are not either basic nor universal, and uh, you can really get caught up. And so you really got to kind of watch yourself. And there we go. That's a good point. And that's it. And that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, well, okay. Why don't you take it away from here, Tony? All righty. So you we are. All our ending credits. Yeah, we are Two Teachers Charles Talking. Yeah, and Tony Silva, Two Teachers Talking uh, at, at gmail.com, uh, twoteacherstalking.com uh, on the web. And, of course, uh, at, uh, on iTunes as Two Teachers Talking. And uh, that's it. Uh, we're beginning a new semester. And good luck to all of us. <laughs> to you and to me and to Charles. 
And that's it. Okay, Tony. So, you have a good week, okay? You too. Okay. Bye.